I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm kind of tired. I, I'm not sure if we should even do this. Uh, yeah, I definitely don't have the energy, but, um, yeah, I'm beat. So it's up to you guys. What do you think? <laughs> well, let's just start and see how it goes. Hello and welcome to driving leadership. I'm David Foster. I'm Mike Metcalf. And I am Sean Pete. And I feel like that's the first time I've said that and not sound like I'm reading a teleprompter. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we want to ask, start asking a few questions. Is there something that you're doing, even with good intentions, that makes your work and your life worse? Something that can affect your body, your spouse, your coworkers, and even your business goals. And this something you might even be praised for by others. And it definitely makes everything really worse. And we're here to talk about burnout and what it does and what you can do about it. Yeah, it's what the uh, it's what the car is doing uh, after a win when all the smoke, you know, and spinning the wheels. Is that the burnout we're talking about? No, I think we're talking about the bad kind. Okay, <laughs> it's like man, this is gonna be a quick quick podcast. For for those that are not NASCAR fans, <laughs> Mike and Sean are talking about the what would you say the the tradition of when a car wins or when a team wins. They burn out in the winner's circle. But the difference is, is there's an actual finish line in a NASCAR race, mm-hmm. right? The burnout we're talking about is, you know, people destroying themselves, running towards a finish line that doesn't even exist. That's the burnout we're talking about. So people who know me know that I have a uh, former business partner and friend uh, from Russia. And uh, shout out. Dima. Uh, when we first used to travel together and get to know each other, we talked a lot about, well, what is it really like in your culture or my culture? And one of the first questions he asked me was, David, why don't Americans rest? And he meant this in an athletic way that, you know, never stop grinding, no pain, no gain mentality. But he also meant it in terms of a work-life balance that Americans don't take vacations, they don't take time off, they answer and send emails at inappropriate hours, they call, um, and that from the outside looks to him like a very unhealthy thing. I would say it is unhealthy, and until you travel and see other cultures and how well they disengage... Uh, or take breaks and you know it's a year off on maternity and paternity leave and two months of paid vacation you know we're 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 lucky if we get two weeks vacation right and so mm-hmm. uh, it's just a, it's a different world I mean I think <clears throat> without it getting too technical it goes back to the foundations of the the country and the the Puritan that Puritan work ethic that helped kind of you know that was the fabric of, of the, of the, com- the country and then people wanting to separate from the way that things were in, in, in the British empire. And so, um, I think the, a lot of the workers came here and that was just the foundation and, and no one's looked back ever since. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a byproduct of the American hustle culture, David, right? If, if something, if something is easy, we assign it no value. 
So these things that are easy, like rest or solitude or, you know, all these things that we just don't do because if we're not grinding or hustling, like you said before, um, it's not moving the needle. And, and that's a complete fallacy. I mean, there's multiple studies done. Uh, you can go to New York Times. I mean, anybody can uh, show you this stuff where they've pulled surveyed people over a course. Uh, they, you know, two different groups. One is working all out seven days in a row. One is six, and then they force them to do a shutdown on the seventh day. Time after time after again, the group that takes the data shut down outperforms. That's like my friend who is quite the accomplished weightlifter, um, Olympic medal, world champion, uh, European champion, youth champion. And the idea that you, 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 would never take a, you would never take a weightlifter and say, all right, if you wanna get strong, you should lift heavy every single day, all day, and never take any time off, right? Because the, the growth happens in the breaks between the stress stimulus, right? And we, you're, I, Mike, you're absolutely right. We live in a culture where sacrifice is normalized and even admired, even above performance a lot of times, right? Now, you guys are involved in a performance-based sport, right? Because if you don't win, there's a lot of really tough meetings afterwards, right? But in you know, in, in business culture, uh, often people can defend themselves or defend bad results by explaining how much they sacrificed or how much they worked or how late they spent or how early they were there. And that's just incredibly unhealthy. No, David, we worked for a boss who used to tell us, you know, what a great employee this person was because they showed up at six and wouldn't leave, you know, until seven. But we mm -hmm. would see that person in the back hiding out, smoke breaks, you know, five or six a day, and it had nothing to do with the value they brought to the company. It was this performative piece where uh, they always looked like they were grinding, mm -hmm. right? That that that's a miss. Yeah, it's a huge miss, and you know, this idea of burnout. I actually looked it up. Uh, the The term was coined in 1974. Herbert Freudenberger, the high cost of high achievement. Uh, and he was somebody who saw, you know, the extension of this Puritan work ethic become really, really unhealthy and actually not contribute to high achievement, even though it was done in the name of that. And his famous quote, I have to read it here, is the extinction of motivation or incentive, especially where one's devotion to a cause or relationship fails to produce the desired results, which means that people just keep going after it even though they're not getting the, the results and they put more and more time and effort into it. Yeah, I mean, it's what Sean's saying about that finish line that is unrealistic expectations in our own heads or goals or, you know, or comparison. But there's usually a reason for, for burnout. And, and like you said, David, a lot of it's, you know, it's a good job. It's a good relationship. You know, it can be good things that cause burnout. Yeah, and I think the way that the way that modern life is now today, I'm I'm famous for saying this in my inner circle, and I apologize to all those who are listening and have to hear it again. But if you're if you spend all day in front of the screen, and you switch that screen to social media, Netflix, Amazon Prime, or something like that, 
that's not rest. That's actually worse than rest, right? It may even be worse than work. And, Correct. you know, we'll get into it towards the, the end part about what people can do, but the way we're taking care of ourselves and the way we're expecting ourselves to perform at work is, is so disjointed and yet it's so admired and supported and normalized. It's incredibly unhealthy. It is. And again, it's a misconception of what rest is because you're right, David, it's not Netflix and it's not, you know, you know, binge scrolling Instagram, mm -hmm. right? Rest, rest looks like fewer inputs, right? You're getting inputs all day long at your job, you know, mm -hmm. meeting requests, you know, all, all these things. You go, you go to social media, you're still getting inputs, right? Rest looks like limiting those inputs. You know, no one, you know, great ideas in business, you know, there's not a map of where those things come from. Mm -hmm. You know, but what, what they're fairly certain is, is they don't happen in boardrooms. They don't happen under artificial light, right? They happen in solitude. They happen in the shower. They happen outdoors, right? Mm -hmm. But every one of those environments shares one similar thing and it has fewer inputs. Mm -hmm. right? It's just you and, you know, the birds or it's just, and, and I think that we got to figure out what that is, you know, because like you said, you know, backing away from the computer and picking up your phone is, is a disaster. I looked up a couple of things on it and two of the main kind of triggers for burnout is feeling trapped or defeated, or if you've just experienced a, a decrease in satisfaction or accomplishment. Well, feeling trapped or defeated, I think everyone's experienced that from the pandemic at some point, right? Right. Stuck, stuck at home, defeated, you know, like this uh, pessimistic news cycle that we're stuck in where there's kind of bad or negative news continuously being delivered to you. And then, uh, you know, we're, we're a, and accomplishment driven society we we need to you know especially younger folks that got the participation trophies for you know just showing up and breathing um <laughs> no offense um was that to david or me <laughs> <laughs> to the people listening that oh, have okay. participation trophies yeah um but yeah i mean you know we just there there's just there hasn't been as many wins lately and you know, these things, so that, you know, that's just external forces kind of pushing you towards burnout. And that has nothing to do with what your day-to-day -day is. Right. And when we talk about the inputs, I think that's a, re I, I haven't thought about that before, but I think that's a really good way to put it because yes, we need fewer inputs, especially if you're in a job that has a lot of them, right? But there also has to be a difference, right? So if you're a if you're a bricklayer, spending your day off building a stone wall for your, for your mother-in-law probably isn't that great of a rest, right? But if you're a desk jockey and you spend most of your days, you know, behind the screen in these like really long meetings, well, building a stone wall for your mother-in-law might actually be part of a type of rest, right? And this gets into this idea that we need the rest, right? Just like my, my friend who, you know, takes his rest very, very seriously. In fact, I had, a, I had an elite level coach who used to say, work hard, but rest harder, right? Because that's when you actually make the, you make the adjustment and your, your body and capacity grows, right? 
And this idea of rest, if, if you're in a leadership position, you need to do what you can to stand in the, the face of, you know, the culture that normalizes overwork and being busy and, you know, being almost like unhealthy in your approach and help those people that you work with limit their load. Yeah, I talk a good a bit about investing through overflow to leaders, and that's my ability to invest in others is going to be tied to my ability to invest in myself. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times people are thinking, man, I just I don't have anything to give my team right now. I'm just I wish I'm, you know, what are some different ways that I can inspire them and motivate them? And before we get to that, it's like, all right, well, let's let's talk about you. You know, <laughs> how are, mm-hmm. are, are you rested when you get into work? Are you investing in yourself? Are you taking time to unplug and to think? and to create. And, and usually the answer is no. And so, you know, for leaders, if, if you, it's, it's direct feedback. If your team is starving, it's probably because you are. Yeah. And an analogy we use all the time, David is, is, you know, think of a fly, you know, banging against a window, mm-hmm. right? And, and the, the more it bangs off the window, the harder it goes out that window. And mm-hmm. if it would just step back for one second, it would realize the other pain, the other windows open, it would just fly out. That's mm-hmm. what hustle culture looks like. If we would just back out of it for a second, I mean, we would, you know, that's why good ideas come, like I said, in the shower or, or when we get quiet. It's because we give ourselves a moment of grace where we're not, like I said, you limit those inputs again. And a lot of times we have a great idea, but we're so unwilling to back away from the window. Yeah. And this costs money. I, I, I so much want to jump to, you know, all the different ideas that we have about what you can do practically about about burnout, but I, but I want to say first, like this costs real money. And so there's a couple of well-known studies out there. Uh, one, uh, from 2019, uh, Shasha Han is the first author, but it's a medical study and their estimate is that burnout costs just the medical field, $4.6 billion a year. Whew. And that is, you know, there are different costs there. People leaving, people getting sick, jobs being done uh, inadequately, having to be done over. There's all different ways to calculate the cost, but it's, a, but it's a real cost, right? There was another medical study the year before that uh, self-reported 44% of doctors are, born at, are, are burnt out. More women than men probably because women have more responsibilities in the home traditionally in, in the U.S. Um, and some of the statistics that come from that are really frightening. 60% of the doctors say they have too many things that they're responsible for, right? There's too many hours. Lack of respect came up as uh, one of the big reasons why they felt burnt out. Lack of control. And tellingly, two-thirds of them had not sought out help for burnout or planned to do so. And you think like if you're a leader, you know, the medical field may be slightly different in some ways from different, you know, other fields. But if you're a leader, you have a tremendous amount to do with those reasons that the doctors are citing for why they felt burnout, how many tasks they have, how many hours they work, whether they get respect or not. 
right? Whether they have control over their domain. Now, obviously, insurance companies meddle around with some of that. Um, but also normalizing self-care, getting help, right? And that's one thing that you can do for other people as a leader. And you also need to do them for yourself. Yeah, I'd add lack of support from leadership, you know, is another mm -hmm. one that seems, you know, people just they're they're come in and they're spinning their wheels and don't feel like anyone's got their back. They're scared to make decisions because they don't know how it's going to go. And mm -hmm. um, and then I think a lot of it is, you know, people are probably scared to say, hey, I'm burned out, <laughs> you know, but if they were to raise their hands, it probably, you know, According to your stats, you know, probably two thirds of the group would say, hey, I'm in the same boat. Do you but think I think, well, I was just gonna say, I think people, you know, it, it's like <clears throat> I, I, I don't want to say, hey, this is too much. Hey, I don't feel supported. Hey, I don't you know, because that, that could be a sign of weakness. And we, we just we shy away from that. So do you think that people know that they're burnt out or do you think that they are just tired, frustrated? disrespected i would say that people know that they're burning out I, <clears throat> a lot of what so i mean so what's the what's the other end of burnout right so burnout on one end is feeling defeated disconnected you know you're not accomplishing anything you're running out of energy the other side of that i think is is engaged passionate uh connected supported all of that right and and when you don't feel that I, th I mean, you know it. You, you can feel that when you it's why most people have heart attacks on Monday mornings because they know they're going into an environment. Where it's chaotic and, and stressful and, you know, they don't want to <laughs> your body physically responds to that with stress. Mm -hmm. And I would agree with Mike, you know, the, you know, so many of us think the opposite of, of depression is happiness. It's not. It's purpose. Right. When mm -hmm. we're burnt out, we're 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 flirting with that. You know, we're flirting with depression and we're flirting with these, you know, kind of the, the, the monster in the closet and, and it's not happiness, it's purpose. And, and I believe that. And I think that's like when you said those doctors really keyed on um, the disrespect part. And I, I think what happens is it, that eats away at the significance part of purpose, right? We want to feel mm -hmm. significant. And, and when you're not respected, you don't feel significant. So I think, you know, I, I, I think, you know, Mike's right there. It's, it's, something is going on with purpose, whether, you know, the, the employee or the, the person isn't being valued. But again, you can tie all that back to leadership. Yeah, very, you, you can tie that very directly to leadership and, Absolutely. you know, respecting what somebody does and who they are is completely separate from job performance, right? It's completely separate from capacity. It's completely separate from talent, right? And I think if you're in a leadership position and you have the ability to communicate some sort of respect and not in a textbook, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, very strange way of saying, well, I respect you or something like that. But it's what we talked about last week about being able to form a connection and actually caring about somebody else in a very human way. And if they are respected, then maybe they're more likely to jump that wall that Mike is describing, uh, being able to raise their hand and say, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little 
maybe they don't use the word burnt out. Maybe they use some other word. And Sean, I don't think depression is that far away from, from burnout. It may be, you know, one and the same thing in a lot of cases, because some of these studies cite headaches, stomach aches, anxiety, sleep disturbance, you know, an inability to perform the job and the family, uh, damage their social connections, and even a incredibly increased rate of suicide uh, ideation. Mm-hmm. And that's some, th- there's no way around it. That's nasty shit, right? And that's not worth, you know, having, having that kind of cost is not worth, you know, being the person who answers the email at 1130 at night. No, or, or the pager or, or the emergency room call, right? Like think of a, think of a doctor. Um, they probably go into that field to, to serve the greater good. Um, but what happens along the way, right? They're disrespected. Uh, all these things start to erode away at, you know, eat away at their purpose. And then you, you almost can't step away from it because you have such a massive investment in medical school, all these other things. Well, then it doesn't become about elevating the human condition. It becomes about, well, how do I keep this house on the Cape? Or how do I, you know, how do we get to ski and veil every, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and the thing is, is money is never going to, to, to trump that. More money is not going to pull you out of that state, mm-hmm. right? The only thing that does, going back, is, is purpose, meaning, significance, and even in some cases, challenge. Right. And I, I want to add, I, I want to jump right to the practical, honestly. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, I, I think one of the first steps to be, able to, be, to be able to look at meaning and purpose, one of the first steps is to examine, if we just talk personally, if you're a leader and you feel like, you know what, maybe I am a little bit overwhelmed Maybe I am burnt out. Maybe I'm getting too many headaches, you know, whatever the story is, is to examine what you do. And you can do this in a very practical sense. You can set an alarm on your phone and every hour you write down, jot down what it is that you're doing, right? And you can see how much time everything takes and really how much stress and how much frustration you're, you're experiencing with that. And then you need to examine it consciously and say, okay, what's a reasonable load? Because you can have, in some ways you can have, you know, all the best intentions and all the greatest opportunities for really good purpose. But if there's too much load, you're going to crack and you got to examine, you know, you, you got to examine that first. And I have said to many people, I don't care how good you are at meditating. You can't meditate yourself into a healthy 75 hour work week. Yeah. If this sounds extreme, dear listener, it's because we have to take extremes measures for this. Uh, We were talking to a leader a couple weeks ago who had gone, where did she go, Sean? Somewhere in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And it was maybe 13 days later. And we asked about the vacation and she had completely forgotten. So we're, we're beyond just, hey, we're going to unplug for the weekend or three or four days. And if we think that like that's just not going to fix it, there has to be some extreme measures, extreme intentionality behind giving ourselves a chance to beat this burnout stuff. Let's just talk about your your leader for a second here. Yeah. 
if you ask her 13 days after she's come back from the Caribbean about her vacation and she can't remember it, I bet you a dollar that there are other people in the room who sort of chuckle about that or, you know, you know, that's great. You know, my boss is really working hard and she's completely burned through her vacation and it happens to everybody and do the grind. But what I want to say is if you're in that position, if you're in a room like that, you have to, you have to sort of like go across or you have to go against the culture there and express concern. Like you're, you're less than two weeks away from sitting on the beach and you don't remember. Let's, let's talk about that and see if there's something we, maybe you need to go back. Maybe you need to adjust what you're doing now so that this doesn't end up as a stroke. Right. I mean, you guys talked about other cultures at the start of this show. You know, there's a reason why Europeans get eight weeks of vacation. It's, you know, they say the first two weeks of vacation simply gets you out of whatever cycle you're in. Mm-hmm. But we're in this country where you only get two weeks. And mm-hmm. heaven forbid you use it all at one time. You're going to take five days here and you need a couple for Thanksgiving and you need a couple for Christmas. So by and large, no one is taking a vacation more than seven days. Mm-hmm. You know, very, in very rare instances. And the thing is, is you don't get out of this. You don't, get, you don't pull completely out of what you're doing. So you mm-hmm. never really get that reset. Yeah. yeah I, for those who know me, uh, for, for a, a long while there, I had a place in England and I worked in an office there and I split my time between the U.S. and England. And, you know, the different, that difference that you're explaining right now is the biggest difference in, you know, those two cultures that are separated by a common language. You know, this idea that the people would leave the office, you know, some people would work late. There were some really, you know, hard charging people there, but they were hard charging for a very specific period of time. And then when they were off, they were off. And a lot of times that meant five o'clock on a Tuesday, right? And I made the, I made the terrible mistake of calling some of these people up after hours, so to speak, and you know, they weren't rude, but they were not cooperative. Mm -hmm. And I really learned very quickly that, you know, there's a reason why that culture has survived for so long and their, you know, their rates of, you know, cholesterol and stress and hypertension and stroke and all these things are so much lower because they take a completely different approach to work. They do. And David, you, you, you kind of set me up for a perfect segue about something I want to talk about. And that's, you know, the, the, this idea of work-life balance, right? Mm-hmm. I think part of the burnout is because we think, okay, we, we continually question ourselves, oh, do I have work-life balance, right? And, and I, I'm a big believer that work-life balance is a lie. Right? There's no such thing. You're not going to be equal distance to, to work and, and, and free time. You're just not. And, you know, what I think they do well there is, you know, I think a lot of leaders and high performers, we're a product of what we've been rewarded for. Right. So good grades in college was because we worked our you know, butts off. Um, you know, getting through a company and rising to the top is because we put a tremendous amount of work in. 
And we're rewarded for that behavior, right? And those behaviors exist on the extremes. But what we do is we stay out on the extremes, right? And what I think they do better there is, like you said, they're hard charging for a very specific amount of time. And then they'd pull back, right? We need to figure out, okay, we can still go out to the extremes, but we can't live out there. We got to go out, be brilliant, and then we got to retreat, rest, reload, and then go back out to the extremes. We just think that, you know, we're all superman and superwoman, that we can stay out on the extremes. And we just, we just can't. Yeah, and, and there's a huge misconception about rest or change being the opposite of work, right? So like you were saying, we get rewarded for certain performances, and sometimes that is like truly a performance that you can watch coming in earlier, staying late, or answering a late email. But rest is part of work. It, it's a combination that works, you know, just like any other chemical combination, right? Without the rest, you don't get the benefit of the work, right? And you can look at a lot of different studies. There are studies about rest. There are studies about, uh, what is it called? NSDR, non-sleep deep rest, right? Where you've got a, uh, a bout of learning or some sort of cognitive work for 60 to 90 minutes and then you have 15 to 20 minutes of this you know sort of like meditative rest or something completely different and less stressful than the work it enhances learning and it enhances performance when you go back to it but it's not normal in you know at least american offices for you to work on your spreadsheet for 90 minutes and then lie down for 20 or go for a walk or not talk to anybody shut off your phone listen to the birds even though at the end of the day somebody who does that repeatedly will be not only healthier but they'll be more productive i think it's um i think it's a, i think it's an addiction you know to be honest i mean yeah, that's a you, good point like if you really looked at what addiction is and and how it drives you know the human psyche people can't pull away from work it takes more work for people to rest than it does for them to answer that email and that's sad and and the addiction i, I the addiction isn't to working hard i think it's the addictions to the reward that comes from working hard right does that make sense yeah the absence I, of individual strength there right right mm -hmm. Like I said, that, that's the whole reward system your whole life. So if I just keep doing this, I'll keep getting pats on the back and, you know, out of boys and out of girls. And I think that that's the part they're addicted to. And they just, you know, something served you well. You're, you're, if you're, you know, using this fishing lure and you catch fish every time, you're not going to change your lure up. And so this, now you've set me up in return for, for one of the things on my list. And it has to do with Mike's point too about addiction. I haven't really thought of it this way, but let's see, back in 2010, there were a couple people, uh, Tiffany Schlain and Ken Goldberg, who came up with this idea of the digital Sabbath. Now, obviously in 2010, there wasn't the digital life that there is now but there was enough and they sort of modeled this thing after the, you know, the, the Jewish Sabbath, but it's an idea of you shut everything off on Friday night 
and you don't turn it back on until Sunday morning or Saturday night or pick your days. It doesn't really matter. But once a week, you make a conscious and deliberate decision to disconnect yourself from all technology, anything that has an on or off switch and a screen, right? So you can't text on your Kindle and say, well, I didn't look at my phone for 24 hours, right? Doesn't work. And what they figured out well after 2010 is that there is an addiction. There's a dopamine addiction to the alert sounds and the messages and the likes and the views and all those sorts of things, right? And I learned about this, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago. Honestly, I thought it was stupid. And then maybe a couple months after that, I thought, well, if it's so stupid and I don't need it, I should try it and prove that to myself. So I shut everything off Friday night and found myself incredibly disturbed and distracted and rattled for 24 hours. And I literally broke into a sweat on Sunday morning when I turned my phone back on because I was worried that somebody had sent me a message or I had missed something and I, I couldn't really explain it. And so I have to say, I don't do it every single week, but I do it really regularly. And I found that I feel better, I sleep better, and, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I feel like my thoughts are longer, better put together. I feel like I can think better. And I want to throw that out as a suggestion to somebody who, you know, might be feeling some headaches or frustration or, you know, they, they don't feel like they can do very well at work disconnecting on a regular basis makes a huge impact on how you feel and how you perform. I couldn't agree more. I think um, to stay on the practical lane, I hope everybody was listening to that. Cause that's, I mean, that's powerful. I've seen that happen for people that have gone from burning out, struggling to just crushing it now. And it's just, you know, they just that, you know, just taking a day to unplug. I mean, it's so simple. It sounds easy, and it is, uh, but it's effective. <clears throat> One thing that we've tried to encourage people also to do is work in intervals. Uh, most people, most humans, after about an hour, there is just, there's just going to be a fall off. <laughs> but what do we do? We just we got. I'm gonna just go run to Starbucks real quick, get a double espresso, and just dive back in. And sometimes that's your body saying, "Just take a break." All right, mm-hmm. Let, let's let's recalibrate. And so, um, there's a uh, all kinds of uh, efficiency clocks on Amazon where you can set five, fifteen, thirty, sixty minutes. Work in that window, and when it's up, go get a water break, get some fresh air, let your brain catch up to where your body is, and then get back in after that. Well, and, and think of how insane this must sound to some people, right? Like we'll let, you know, we'll let people infiltrate our space. We'll let, you know, the work shatter our boundaries, but we won't allow ourselves the grace to just get quiet. We won't allow ourselves to get the grace to get out of the noise. Like that's insanity. Yeah. It's insanity. You know, I have this, I have this blog post germinating in my head and I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to say, but I, I almost feel like the title's going to be self-care doesn't necessarily include scented candles, mm-hmm. right? Because I think, I think we have, at least, in the, at least in the startup culture and the, the, the culture of 
you know, young companies that are run by people who founded them. We have this, this hero operator icon, mm. right? Where, you know, I can do everything, just drink Red Bull and get it done kind of attitude, right? And it's really hard to talk to people and it's really hard in that position to think about something as soft, that sounds as soft and fluffy as self-care, right? But the absence of self-care is self-harm. Do you really want to do that, right? Do you really want to harm yourself so much that if your idea and your business actually succeeds, that you're going to have to read about it, you know, on your, on your deathbed, right? Or you're not going to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor and you're not actually enjoying what you're doing and, and why? And for what? Why are you doing that? And yeah. for what, right? And you're worried about being called soft and fluffy? Like the opposite of that for us, we call them top priority people, right? So now you sound like an idiot because top priority is a, a grammatical redundancy, right? Like priority <laughs> in its origin is singular. Our, our priority right. is this. It wasn't until the 1940s till you started seeing an S put on the end of priorities. These are our top priorities. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. Right? No, your, your priority is the one thing that's the most important. And now we're creating lists of top priorities of the 20 things that are the most There's no, you can't have 20 things that are the most important, right? But it just shows where our culture is going. Like the fact that we think nothing of saying, oh yeah, these are our top priorities, right? That's ridiculous. That, that, that's actually a very common thing in, in, in my work. There's there's one example that that stands out to me because it was we were talking about the priorities of the company and really we're talking about like you know the the relative scale of them and what what is the priority and then what comes after that right and this founder became incredibly angry and basically said well everything is a priority and you know you, you sort of have to deal with the frustration and the anger, which I, you know, I can understand, especially if, you know, he or she is under the gun. But when you think about that logically, you know, in some ways, when you pick a priority, you are saying that you're not going to give the energy and attention to the other things that could have become that priority. And if we, if we make this about burnout, and priority, your priority has to be you first. Right. Because if you make it the text from your boss or this project or this sense of responsibility that I just have to get this stuff done and you subjugate yourself to those things, how are you actually going to finish them? Yeah, it can be very, very disorienting right? <laughs> you kind of lose your way a little bit. And I've, I've had that myself recently. Um, cause I'm, I fancy myself as being a, uh, a competent, you know, high achieving individual. And I just had my hands. It's a great <laughs> fantasy to have. <laughs> right? I mean, I think we all think that, right. Um, but yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know, I got to pull back a little bit here. I'm just, my hands are in too many different things. I'm not being brilliant at any of them because again, to your point, there was no priority. It was just all these competing interests. Um, 
and and you kind of can lose your way of where your affection should be, right? And so we're all talking about this from having experiences with it very closely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and and I was thinking about a priority, you know, when it comes to yourself. And then the next thing, you know, for, as business leaders, it's got to be your people. You know, it's got to be that you yeah. really care. I mean, your products and sales and numbers matter. Those those have to be important. Otherwise, we're unemployed. But, you know, you think about this transfer portal that's happening in college now where, where kids are just leaving in the middle of the night and going somewhere else. A lot of times it's just they don't feel prioritized. And so they're going to go somewhere where, where they feel the same way. And then you look at that on a bigger landscape, and we talked about it. You know, the great resignation is n- nothing different than just the transfer portal played out in a corporate space. We can say this probably every single week, but how you treat yourself and the example that you set is the influence that you're going to have over the people that you are leading, that you're serving, mm-hmm. right? And so if you normalize or exemplify treating yourself poorly in a health time priority commitment type of way, that's what people, that's what the people around you will Mm -hmm. imitate and the, your results will suffer. You'll lead an unhappy, unhappy life. And eventually part of that unhappiness will be because your business doesn't do very well. And it's again, you're talking about the strength of your example. And it's hard for a leader to be like, you know what? No, it's four o'clock. My kid's soccer game is more important, you know, than, than getting mm-hmm. us closer to, you know, the Q3 goal or whatever, whatever it might be. You know, and I think also for leaders, it's not only modeling that behavior, but not rewarding, not rewarding behavior that doesn't look like that. So, like, you know, someone stays overnight and finishes up a project and be like, hey, I appreciate you know, you getting this work done, but I'd rather have seen you do it in a timely manner or, you know what I mean? Like, I think we got to be very careful about what we reward as well. You know, otherwise we're just reinforcing it. We're modeling a certain behavior, but reinforcing something different. We got to make sure that that stays in parallel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that leaders also have the opportunity to, to make something like that actually difficult to happen. Right. So if you notice that somebody is, you know, behind or there's a deadline that doesn't seem they're going to be able to make without staying up all night, that's a great time to step in and say, okay, you're not going to stay up all night. We'll figure out how to do this. You, the, you, the person is more important than getting this report done. I'll call the client and say, we need another 24 hours, whatever it is. Now, obviously there are always exceptions. There are people who take advantage of that. There are poor performers, there's missed opportunities, there's things that do have to get done. And sometimes business takes a lot of effort at in short bursts, but that needs to be balanced with time away, time off, separate things. And an attention towards oneself to make sure that you're healthy. Yep. I think it was uh, IBM that used to have a, a little trigger in their system where if someone was working overtime, I think it was three, maybe four weeks in a row, 
then the system would notify the boss, it's time to hire somebody else. And I mean, I think we've lost, (laughs) you know, that was years ago. It's like, oh, keep, oh man, great. We can squeeze a little bit more juice out of this person. And, you know, it just ends up hurting all of us. If, If we can think about the practical things we're talking about, I love the idea of the digital Sabbath and you can make that any way you want. You can make it Tuesday afternoon. You can do, you know, uh, I know some people that shut their phone off at a certain time at night, right? And they just, they don't go to sleep with it, so to speak, right? I think that self-examination where you're really truly aware of like, oh, wow, this is what I've been doing. This is what my week looks like. No wonder, you know, no wonder I feel like taking somebody's head off. And you have, you have to compare that and contrast it with what the rest is and what the, the different activities are. So it has to be separate. It has to be less inputs, like you were saying, Sean, I really like that. And it has to be something other than work, even if you're busy. So for me, I'm not joking, you know, building or repairing the old stone walls around the property, that's really great. That's really great for me. Again, if I were a Mason, that probably wouldn't be so much of a break. And I think the, the last, one of the last things that we can say is you have to be intentional and make a practice to really listen to your body. So if this is the third headache that you got this week, or this is the fourth time this week that you said, man, those burritos are really sp- like that. I just don't feel good can't sleep, you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning. Those are signs. Pay attention. Ask yourself what's going on and and can I do something that will help me repair? And I, I would say ask for help. Um, you know, yeah. mentors or just accountability partner, friend, spouse. I mean, the list goes on. Just ask for ask for help. Uh, so many of us get into burnout because we need to be the person that is the one that's responsible. We talked about responsibility and leadership, and a lot of people have a high sense of responsibility, but that can be to a fault, right? And so I think it's up to, to all of us to say, all right, when I'm feeling burned out, these are opportunities to start empowering my team to do some of these other things that I feel I have to do at midnight, right? <laughs> I mean, if, if we start, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, you know, I, and most of us are type A and it's hard for us to, to relinquish control. But, you know, we talk a lot of times about having owners versus having renters. And if we have to have the keys to everything, then we're going to facilitate renters. Right. And, and we're going to be the one that always has to be called upon when the plumbing goes out or when the light fixture needs repaired. Right. So I think some of that, like you said, David and Sean. A lot of this is in our control. We can do something about it if we really want to. And lastly, I think we just need to reframe easy to become necessary. You know, it, you know, don't not do something because it's easy. No, no, it's necessary. I need the rest. I need the break. You know, every, everything else is necessary mm-hmm. in your business. You find a way to get done, right? If you, if you feel mm-hmm. rest and self-care is necessary, you'll find a way to make it happen. But we have to reassign it. It can't just be something that's easy. It's got to be something that's necessary. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I also like the point about the responsibility and it 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 reminds me of that idea that you need to take care of yourself as if you were somebody that you were responsible for who you truly loved. Mm-hmm. And you take a look at your diary, take a look at what you do and say, would I give this would I make somebody that I truly love that I had the power over do because it's probably not that healthy. Yeah. Well, this has been an <laughs> uplifting episode. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, you know, it's a tough topic and the numbers just keep rising. Um, and we don't know what, I mean, it's almost like its own little epidemic, right? We don't know what this is going to look like. 10, 20 years from now, when it comes to the things we've already talked about, heart attack, stroke, blood pressure, things like that, the, the cost that it's going to, you know, that's going to be passed on to all of us. So it's up to all of us to help make, make it, you know, make these work environments better. For yourself and for the people yeah. around yeah. you. Yeah. So stop listening to a podcast about work, shut your phone off, go for a walk and when you start working again, make sure you know exactly when you're going to stop and, and really pull yourself away from it and spend the time that you are away doing something other than trying to figure out your business problem. Limit everything. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, once again, we thank you for the time and truly hope that you find some ideas to use and truly hope that you use those ideas to stay healthy until next week. Thank you. And we'll talk to you again. If we have the energy. See y'all.